0: Good, good morning, everybody. As you will, most of you know, we're do, doing a series now on uh, David's life—David, who's to become King David—and uh, that for us begins a journey that I think is going to be really exciting. Uh, the story about David has really been like a, like a, a good chocolate in the box that has to be waited to be savoured. Does that uh, make sense to some of you? Yes, I'm sure it does. Uh, it's better than broccoli, I can assure you. Um, I do eat my broccoli because I'm told it's good for me, but it doesn't mean I have to like it. Is it fair to say? Now, um, last week we looked at how it was that David began this journey from being a shepherd boy to the point where he was chosen to be the next king. And that means that there's a whole lot of context that's gone on beforehand, and we need to pick up on that. You see, Samuel was a judge. Samuel was a judge. He was a prophet. He was a leader. And he had been the leader of Israel by virtue of this position that he held. Uh, What happened though, is that he had two sons who were miserable louts, to be quite honest, and they didn't have, uh, they being the people of Israel, didn't have any confidence that these sons were going to adopt or pick up his uh, ability to lead. And so they said, we don't want another uh, priest or prophet to lead us, we want a king. And so they appealed to Samuel. Samuel said, if you get a king, it's not gonna be good for you. They said, no, give us a king anyway. And so they got a king. And a king was raised up out of Bethlehem, a tall man by the name of Saul, tall Saul. And Saul was anointed as the first king of Israel. And things went well for about 10 years, and then Saul was called to go and lead his people into battle against the Amalekites, and the Amalekites uh, were defeated. But in this battle, they were told that they should not bring anything back with them from the battle by way of reward. And sadly, um, sadly, that didn't happen, and they brought back the... Um, the sheep and the cows, for a sacrifice. But the Scriptures tell us that Saul went to a place called, for, called Carmel, and there he made an altar, an altar to honour himself. An altar to honour himself. And at the same time, he disobeyed God about these animals. And so Samuel came to him and said, look, you've disobeyed the things of God. You are no longer fit to be the king of Israel. And so God is going to remove you. God is going to raise up someone else. And so we saw how this story evolved where uh, Samuel goes to Bethlehem and he takes on a challenge of raising up a new king. The new king will be David. But this morning we're going to look at how it is that God builds spiritual authority into our lives. Spiritual authority is the ability to be able to know whom you are in Christ, to be able to stand, to be able to have confidence. And to take dominion over powers and principalities of darkness. And we're going to see how this unfolds in the very early part of David's life. He's not a perfect example of everything godly at this point. And we're going to see as time goes on how it is that God is going to challenge him and grow him up. But for now, in the very early part of his life, he's going to be challenged with spiritual authority. Or is it spelt there? Spiritual authority. Um, Yeah, we're just doing that for those of you who go to sleep and they need to be woken up, okay? Uh, spiritual authority is really important. Uh, so here we go. Let's remind ourselves of how it is that David was anointed. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They are still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features, clearly eating his broccoli. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him, this is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. So why are we told that Samuel went to Ramah? Well, Ramah was his home. Quite simple. But it begs another question why didn't he now take this anointed boy king, march him down the road, put him in front of Saul, the outgoing king, and saying, make way, here's the new king. This is the new guy, okay? Nothing like that occurred, because David, whilst anointed to be the king, wasn't ready for the role yet. And last week we looked at how it was that um, you need these three things working in conjunction with each other. Character, skill, and anointing. Clearly, David had been anointed by Samuel, God is going to bless this guy. God is blessing this young guy. And yet he needed to have skill and he needed to have character. He needed to be able to be in a position where all these three things would work together well to ensure that he would be God's man. I had a scenario about eight years ago. I went down to Glenham Baptist Church. um, Michaela and I were invited down there just to spend the weekend with this church. Um, It was going through some changes. Church of probably about 120 people. And during the morning uh, of the worship at the Sunday morning service, there was a young guy called Shannon, 16-year-old, leading the music. And he was up there with his guitar doing his thing. And I could just really sense that the Spirit of the Lord was really powerfully upon this young man. And I approached the, the pastor there at the time, Aaron Salisbury, and I said, Aaron, this guy, Shannon, he's got something special going on. Do you see it? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I can see it. So I said, would you mind if I prayed for him? He goes, no, let's go and pray for him now. So we prayed for him, and we just asked God to continue to do what he's doing, You know, just sort of agreeing with God in that sense. And uh, interesting how his story has unfolded, but three weeks ago he was appointed as the senior pastor of Blenheim Baptist Church at the age of 24. He's the youngest senior pastor in our 245 Baptist churches. So it's a remarkable little journey. And yet in these eight years, he's been on quite a journey himself where these things of character and skill are being built and brought into his life. But I love sitting with Shannon. He's just one of these guys, you're going, man, you have wisdom beyond your years. You know, you're sort of talking to this young guy, and yet what's been coming out of his mouth is uh, something of a different generation. So it's very exciting. Very exciting. Now, of course, we're only two weeks away from the Olympics. How many of you have been training for that? (laughs) Hey, hey, getting getting your cushion all ready, Okay. Johan, getting that, getting that remote control, getting it all sorted? Hey, skill, tenacity? Yeah? i tell you what else you've got to do. You've got to start getting out of bed at midnight and going to bed around midday. You know, Because <laughs> everything's at the other side of the globe. I think it's going to be a challenge, isn't it? Right, anyway. Usain Bolt, fastest man on the planet, is going to try to defend his titles in the 100 and the 200 metres. And uh, I took upon myself to have a look at the early Usain Bolt when he was starting to emerge as a young runner, young athlete in the age group events. I just want you to have a look at the early Usain Bolt. We've got a a video here which we'll put up and you'll see it. Fancy being the opposition, especially when you're a youngster, eh? Imagine being beaten by 20 metres. I remember that (coughs) myself. uh, Tapuna Athletic Club. But uh, anyway, that's another story. But Usain Bolt, when he was a young runner, you can tell he had a different running style to what you saw in the end there when he was breaking world records. And the reason why he um, broke world records is because he put himself under this this, uh, strict regime of training and discipline. Whilst he was naturally gifted, anointed, some might say, for this ability to run, he was never going to break records or win Olympic gold medals unless he put that anointing, if you like, into into the hands of somebody who was skillful and would build into his character. Is that fair to say? You see, it doesn't matter what you're gifted with, perspiration is going to beat anointing at the end of the day. Uh, So you have to be able to put yourself in a place where all these three things come into being. Now, when we get back to David as the shepherd boy, uh, David is going to learn a number of lessons by being a shepherd. The first lesson he's going to learn is that he has to be responsible when no one's watching. You can guarantee when you're a shepherd, when you're out there doing your thing, no one's watching you because no one wants to be there with you because it's just so boring. Okay, Uh, and the job of a shepherd means that you're going to have built into your life patience and perseverance. So what do you do and who are you when no one is watching? When no one's watching you, watching the sheep, are you watching the sheep or the sheep watching out for themselves? And you all of a sudden get surprised when a wolf or a bear or a lion comes in and takes your sheep. You see, no one will know you're not watching until the time when the sheep get eaten and someone says, you clearly weren't watching. Snapped, caught. So, who are you when no one is watching? Second thing is, David learned to be alone. Uh, David is learning something of leadership loneliness here. He's going to be crafted, he's been crafted to be a leader. Uh, when you're a leader, as you are in, as a king, you have to make tough calls that not everybody's going to agree with. So, you have to learn to be alone. Not only to be alone, but to be alone with God. And to be alone with God uh, is the development of this this personal relationship that God desires to have with each one of us. Now, it's very easy in today's world to have this appearance of having this alone time, but you literally have to go offline. I thoroughly believe you've got to go offline to do it. You know what I mean by going offline. You've got to get rid of all your social media. You can't be sitting there with your iPod and your Facebook open, open, Twitter account flooding in messages from all of the people that you follow... Uh, i iMessage open. What else we got? Snapchat, uh, Pokemon Go. Probably all, it's, it's all happening, you know. And then you're having a quiet time. Well, God's got no room to speak to you. You've got to go offline to be online with God. So David clearly didn't have those disadvantages of social media. So he learnt to hear the voice of the Lord. Then, of course, in the real world, I uh, had to face enemies. So the enemies being Lions and tigers and bears, basically, wolves. And so he was skilled as a warrior, the ability to fight and defend. And then this other unusual gift, this other unusual gift that he exercised, and that was the ability to play the harp, or as we're going to see it written up soon, the lyre, L-Y-R-E. But the harp uh, was something he obviously practised, he worked hard at it, and we're going to see how that skill makes a way for him very, very soon. But it's something that you can't really sort of connect in a modern-day society with a warrior. Now, it's pretty hard to imagine Willie Upiata VC, with a harp, you know, playing the harp. What are you going to do, Willie? Oh, just play the harp for a while, bro. <laughs> then what are you going to do? Oh, just going to go and kill me some pigs. You know, it's from Tuhui, so uh, that's the way it is. Sorry about this. not my beard, is it? I'll, I'll leave it there. I haven't got time to shave my beard. That's all right. That's alright, it'll be all right. Yeah, it'll be fine. Okay, so play the harp skillfully. So let's see how the next story, part of the story unfolds. Okay, this guy who's got these limited skills, really, limited skills, but now he's going to go and be used of the Lord. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre. He will play when the the evil spirit from God comes on you, and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey, loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armour bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul, and he would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. Okay. Amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a look at this issue of character, and then we're going to find out how that actually gives spiritual authority. So we're going to come back and explain this this business about the evil spirit in just a moment. But uh, one of the critical things that is observed about David's life is not just that he plays the harp, the lyre. But it's said of this. Said, this is said of him by his servants. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the liar. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man and the Lord is with him. There's a number of factors there, aren't there, that is lined up. He's a he's a warrior. He's a brave man. Plays the liar. But interesting how they make the comment here about the fact that he speaks well. He speaks well. That means that, I would suggest that he could hold a conversation well. He was an intelligent man. He would have been respectful. He would have used his words well. He would have known what to say, when to say it, and at times to say nothing. The art of good communication and speaking well. And you really do wonder how he would have learned that tending the sheep. Surely he must have learned that with his extended family. But clearly uh, David knew that his responsibility was to be a kind man, a good man, and as much as he was a warrior and a, uh, and a brave man. And then we've got to ask ourselves when we talk about this, you know, learning all these things while becoming a shepherd, you know, how is it that a person can be raised in that environment and still become somebody whom God values and God will use? Well, this raises all sorts of questions for me because we're often led to believe that it's only those with the best education raised in the best socio-economic environment that are going to do well. That's not the case. It is simply not the case. It's not what we have by way of opportunity, Is what we do with the opportunity that we have. Okay, let's you know, just, just remember that uh, our Prime Minister, John Key, was raised in a uh, single parent family in a state house. So we know that these things are true, that people can go from nowhere to somewhere, it doesn't really matter what advantage you've got. To put it another way, just because you've got a bum job doesn't mean you have to be a bum. Now I say that in the American use of the term bum, otherwise I get myself in trouble, but a bum job means a, a, a nothing job, as people would describe it, a job that doesn't seem to have a great deal of future. If you think you don't have a future and you turn up, dressed up, looking like you don't have a future, you won't have a future. Is that fair to say? Yet if you take advantage of any advantage that you do have, even if it's a little advantage, and you speak well, dress well, honour and respect those around you, God will make a way because you can be trusted with a little and you'll get the extra time and time again. And that's where we find ourselves today. David has been taking advantage of the little. He only had room in his in his uh, in his life to play the harp, which he probably did at night, as the sheep were put in the sheep pen, and to throw stones with a sling. And we're going to see how that works out for him a little bit later. But uh, the Lord tells us in, in Colossians three twenty three: "Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters." Okay, so preparation to serve doesn't start in an institution. It begins where you are today. You see, preparation, people come and talk to me and say, you know, I I think I'm getting stirred up to work in the mission field, or maybe there's some responsibility God would have, maybe ministry. And I'd say, look, that's great. And maybe there's a season for you coming up. Maybe soon. Maybe a little way away. But you've got to realise that what you do today How you work in your work environment, how you work with your family, how you allow God to speak to you today and shape your character are going to be the most foundational and fundamental things that you will have in your life. It won't need an institution to shape you. The institution will inform you and shape you to a a degree, but what it is that God is doing in your life right now is going to make all the difference, you know, I keep saying this, but wherever you go you'll be there okay so just because you get education won't totally transform your character your character will be transformed by how you handle the challenges that you face today are you handling the challenges better today or are you less well-mannered less well-tempered than you were a decade ago or five years ago these are the challenges you see we need to have challenges in our lives James who wrote to us, reminds us that challenges are good for us and we should rejoice in them. Uh, a friend of mine some years ago, a lady friend of Michaela's of mine, she was uh, watching telly one afternoon, uh, 0800 dial for a bargain, and she saw this exercise machine that she figured would be just what she needed. And so one day we turned up to her place and there was this exercise machine in the, uh, in the, in the, in the living room. As where all good exercise machines start with all the good intentions. They usually end up in the bedroom, you're being used as clothes racks. But uh, this one started off with good intentions in the dining room. And uh, <clears throat> we said, How's it going? She said, Oh, it's pretty hard, you know. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we come back a month later, where's the exercise machine? Oh, I send it back. Why? It was too hard. It's like, It's meant to be hard. If it wasn't hard, it wouldn't be worth doing. And she said, Yeah, 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 but I. You know, didn't want to do it anymore. What are you going to do instead? Nothing. Okay. Well, that'll help. Not. And so we're often put in places where these challenges that are put in front of us are the things that we try to get rid of as soon as the challenge is there. Oh, God, take this away from me. He must hear that a lot. Instead of saying, oh, God, help me work through this challenge so that I can be a better person as a result of it. Looking upwards, asking God those key questions of what is it that you're doing in my life now that I'm going to learn that's going to set me up for the future. So God set in motion a plan for David to learn how to be king. He was anointed to be king. But how was he going to learn how to be king if he was out there with the sheep? He was never going to learn how to be a king by being a shepherd with the sheep. At least he was never going to learn the art. He might have learned the character. And so what happens? Uh, Saul, by nature of having walked away from God, is seen to have a demon upon him, an evil spirit upon him. And so his staff say, if you get this guy called David, he'll play music for you and it'll soothe your soul. It'll change the the, the spiritual environment in the house and, and in the palace. So this is what happens. David gets brought into the king's palace, not to the kitchen to do the dishes, but right there where all the action is because he's the guy who has to soothe the king when the king gets temperamental or grumpy or fierce or tormented in, in the worst-case scenarios. And so here's David. Not only does he impress the king with his music, but he impresses him with his character. He speaks well. And he's made the armour bearer, somebody who follows the king around, literally carrying his sword and his weapons, so that if there was ever a need for it, he'd be right there handing out the weapon so that the king could defend himself. He got to follow the king, see the king's decisions... Learn from him in respect to what he does well and what he didn't do well. And in doing so, he became an apprentice to the king without even having advertised or answered the ad for the job. He gets called. His simple skills of playing music and uh, later on throwing stones are going to be used to set him up to be a king. It's an amazing story. You know, we all learn by watching others. How many of you play golf here? Good. 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 How many of you think you would benefit by being the caddy to Lydia Coe? Yeah, even those who aren't golfers put their hand up. You're going to learn something, eh? Yeah, of course you're going to learn something. By being a servant to somebody who's in responsibility, you're going to learn the role. About um, 10 years ago, um, the Baptist national leader was a guy called Rodney McCann. And he was a really, uh, really neat guy. He's about 30 years my senior. Uh, But I was the chairman of the governance board at the time, the Baptist Assembly Council. And God told me specifically, my responsibility is to make life as easy as I can for Rodney. And so just the simple things, like Rodney had put out a, a letter to the pastors. I'd always write back and say, great letter, man. Thanks for that. It was really insightful, really encouraging. Hope you're doing well. And sitting around a boardroom table together, I'd always make sure that Rodney wasn't going to be set up with the, uh, the curveball, so to speak, and, uh, and just encouraged him and just reassured him that he was doing a good job. And all of that then becomes my reward because I got to see how he did the job, how he handled himself, what he did in certain circumstances, what he did really, really well, or what he could have done better in. And that's life, isn't it? We could always do, do things better. I could still do things better. And so I learned from him what I need to know as I fulfill the role when Rodney handed it over to me. And so we learn because we are put in a position where God wants us to serve the person who's in leadership. And it's a really important thing to do. Not to beat up on people, not to expose their weaknesses, but to serve them. And so humility was David's first lesson. He had to learn how to serve. He had to learn how to serve this king. He had to learn how to take the little that he had and make it available so that God would prosper in this way. Now, when we talk about humility and we talk about leadership learning, uh, there are lots of different schools of thought out there about how it is that a young leader should learn the art of leadership. And uh, I think there can be some tough stuff that goes on. Even in church life, I've seen and heard of young people being used Almost to the point of being abused, you know, they like, you got to clean the toilets, you got to do this, you got to do this, all so that you learn humility. Well, there's a difference between humility and humiliation, isn't there? And you have to make sure that we're not talking about humiliation here. We're talking about providing a pathway of learning, opportunities to serve, opportunities to grow, to do things well. Uh, Let me explain what humiliation is. Back in the late 60s, early 70s, my, my uncle Kevin had been at Trentham uh, to train to be a policeman. And he came from Taumurinui, the metropolis of, and went to Trentham. And then he got posted to the middle of Auckland. He got posted to Newmarket. And the very first day on the job... I've got a frog here. The very first day on the job, his senior sergeant took him outside the police station. He says, right, you're going on patrol, you're going on the beach. And so, as it was in the day, policemen used to do a lot of walking. You say, you go down that road there, you turn left, turn right, turn left, turn right, turn left, turn right, turn this. And then you had to come back, and uh, we'll see you in a couple of hours' time. So, Kevin marches off, and after about an hour and a half, he was completely lost. And uh, these are the days they didn't have radios, they didn't have GPS, they didn't have nothing like that. So, after having been lost for a- an hour, an hour past his due date, a due time home, um, back at the station, he had to humble himself. In full uniform, walk up to a member of the public and say, Excuse me, can you tell me where the Newmarket police station is, please? <laughs> now, that's not humble, that's humiliation, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, all of your own making. All of your own making. You see, the thing is that David, the difference between David and Saul is that Saul built a monument to his own honour, whereas David wasn't seeking after the throne at all. David wasn't seeking after the throne at all. David was seeking after God and God alone. And so therefore, when he came into that place of service, when he was playing music for the king with his his harp, he wasn't doing it in such a way as saying, oh, King Saul, what's your top ten? I'll play them for you. He wasn't trying to impress the king. He was worshipping God. And in that environment, in the presence of the Lord there, as God is invoked by virtue of, of worshipping him, the atmosphere changed. The environment changed. And so by virtue of David worshipping, Saul was blessed. Because in that worship environment, there was no room for something evil to be present. And this is where um, David... Really wins the battle. David takes complete spiritual authority not by standing on anything or claiming something, but by simply being whom he is. When we look at how these, how his character uh, is the foundation for the spiritual authority that he has in his life, he has integrity. He speaks well. Okay, he's a worshiper of God, and out of that becomes a place where he will push back the darkness. Because all these things come to bear and come to be. Saul still had the authority in the natural, but David had the authority in the spiritual. That's the difference. It says here that Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. When David came, it said, Whenever the spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul, he would feel better, and the evil spirit would would leave him. The power of godly worship changed the spiritual environment of the room. And Saul became a beneficiary of that. Some years ago, many years ago, um, I was living in the UK. This is before I was a Christian, back in 1984, 32 years ago now. And <clears throat> had a guy by the name of Sway. That was his nickname, Sway. It's sort of an acronym of his name. Uh, he came in and visited us and he's an Australian guy, and he'd been living all round the world over the previous 15 years. Like he's one of these guys who just put a rucksack on, backpack on, and he would make his way. He'd work for a week or two, and then he'd just make his way and he'd visit another country, live with the locals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you meet these characters when you're out there travelling—people who just never seem to, never seem to settle down. And so, anyway, we were chatting with Sway one night and uh, talking about his time going through the United States. And he was doing it rough, trying to live on the cheap. And him and his friend decided they'd sleep in the portico in the foyer of a church. Anyway, around about 7 o'clock that evening, the pastor turned up and he saw these two likely lads, a couple of Australians, sleeping in the portico, just setting up for the night. And he said to them, hey, would you like to come back to my place for a meal and I'll give you a bed? And they went, hey man, we're in for anything. And so they went back to his place, they had the meal, and they slept the night. And in this conversation, Sway stopped and he said something I'll never forget. He said, we slept that night in that pastor's house and it's the best sleep that I've ever had in my whole life. Now, even though I wasn't a Christian and not very discerning about spiritual things, I remember that 30-odd years later because it just tells me of how the spiritual environment and that spiritual climate in that guy's house must have been so different to what Sway was used to. Okay, so different to the point that he could reflect upon it some 10 years later telling me about how it is that he slept just so peacefully because the spiritual environment of that home had been altered by the presence and probably the worship of God. I can only, only assume or surmise, but I think I'd be pretty accurate in all of that. But we are, we are also in a place where we can take spiritual authority and dominion over our own homes and in our own lives. You see, the issues of character uh, are really foundational to ensure that we don't put ourselves in a place where we're exposed to evil. We need to have uh, real values about what it is that we allow into our lives, into our homes. And in doing so, we create an environment of spirituality, either positive or negative. And so poor old Saul, he had lost favour with God because of his self-proclaiming attitude and actions. And so the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. And it left him exposed spiritually to evil evil forces. And so this is essentially a a battle of goodness and light. Dark, uh, sorry, uh, the Lord's power and the enemy's power in this room. And David comes in and he plays the music and the spiritual environment changes. So when we look at spiritual authority, we see three things at play. We see a person being skillful, characterful and Godful. And you need to have all of those things. Uh, Sadly, you hear it and I hear it about people in Christian leadership who may have an anointing, i.e. a gift, the ability to do something well under the Spirit of God. And yet, because of a flaw in their character, things all go into a mess. I won't say turn to custard because custard's nice. Okay? But it all turns rubbish. It all turns into rubbish. Just coming back from having a few months overseas on sabbatical leave, you know, I chat with the Baptist national administrator, and I say, "Okay, here's the big question: How have the troops been getting on? You know, 400, f- uh, sorry, 245 Baptist churches. Has there been any trouble? Ah, oh, well, you know, there's this little problem happening here, and there's a little problem happening here. You know, and so I'm saying, is it redeemable? Is it, you know, gone too far? Is it, you know, got to send in the uh, Send in the troops. Ah, well, you know, and we have these scenarios where where character is exposed, and people are left, you know, ruining church environments, ruining their own lives, all because, regardless of the anointing that is there, uh, people's character and to a degree their skill has let them down. So that's why David's being prepared. That's why we see this long build-up. It's like a long runway. You know, all the way down to the point where David is going to be king. And we're going to spend weeks looking at how it is that God shapes him. Because God has to shape him and refine every part of his character before the weight and responsibility of ministry sits upon him. I think one of the best illustrations I've ever heard about the weight and responsibility of ministry was an illustration about how the Greeks would build their temples. You know those big uh, Greek columns that you see? that hold up. They're made of marble, they hold up the, the heavy roof. Uh, well, it's, it's absolutely vital that when those columns are put down on the piece of marble that they sit on, that there is no seed. They can have, it can be grit there, but no seed. Because if a seed of, a little seed of grass is underneath that column, if that seed germinates, it has enough strength to put a crack right through the column. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? But this was absolutely critical. And so it can be where the weight of responsibility, the weight of ministry, uh, becomes such that it exposes what the foundation is actually built upon. And in doing so, there can be a crack, and so much can be destroyed as a result of that. So friends, you've got to walk closely with God. When we talk about spiritual authority, spiritual authority, we talk about it in ways that often we're talking about prayer, and we're talking about reading scripture, yes, all those are very, very important things. But it's your skill and your character upon which spiritual authority is built. And it doesn't matter what um, what you feel about your call is, what it is about your, your, your spiritual responsibility. The issues of character are going to be continuously assessed and reassessed by the circumstances that you find your life in. The challenge that you face right now is an opportunity for God to build your character. And you have an opportunity to press in or you have an opportunity to fall away. All of these things are designed and created and built to ensure that you become stronger and more equal to the task, which is exactly what's happening in King David's life. Why don't we stand for prayer? Father, as we look at Scripture, we're reminded that we can see ourselves here. What do I do with my skill? What do I do with my talent? What am I doing to exercise its authority? What am I doing to create a place or an environment that is healthy spiritually for my family or for my work colleagues or for myself? And how can I enhance this? Lord, we're thankful that the answer is a simple one. Maybe it's the shepherd's answer. The ability to be alone, to go offline, to hear your voice, to create space in our in our week and day to hear from you. And in doing this, Lord, we become ultimately putty in your hands, plasticine in your hands that can be shaped and molded. And as you continue to mold us, we're reminded that even in the difficult times of life, you're still working us and working in and through our lives to enhance, as it were, your character, the very person of Christ in us. And so Lord, we might feel like we're walking the beat and we're a bit lost at the moment. We might feel like we don't know where to turn. In humility, we ask you and we say, Lord, how can I get back? How can I come back to you? Equally, Lord, we're reminded of how David just did the simple things. And in doing the simple things, you honour them. Help us to do the simple things well. That we might be your children. That we might be used of you even at the unexpected times. Because why the character that you put in our lives is there and it's been built for your glory. We think of Olympians who are going to shine on the stage in a couple of weeks. And we see ourselves there because of the character you put in our lives we become spiritual Olympians people who have been tested and refined and for that reason you can have confidence to give us more because the foundation will not crack so Lord we thank you for the story of David the transparency and the vulnerability of this young man is going to really blow us away and rock our world in some ways so we thank you for that for your word which is alive and true We ask this in Jesus' name.